All right. How are you getting on? You well? You well? Ah, Mom! You good? How's things? Um, are you staying? Are you staying? What would be the opposite of winded on? You know? Because it's very windy out there. Um, you know, it's, if it was a storm, it's a stay dry. You know, I have to tell you though. I have to tell you this now. I always thought... I always thought that Jack of Jack and the Beanstalk fame was a proper numpty, mate, you know, buying them beans. And then I realized I am Jack. I am Jack's um, raging curiosity because I had a fella knock at the door there. Terry went away for one night, one night, right? And let me look. First night, she's been away since uh, our, our, our youngest was born. And so she was away. You know, uh, house was looking clean. Got the kids McDonald's, doing all this stuff. Had it, I had it all planned. You know, let them watch. Was gonna let them watch a shitload of TV. You know, because it's like a fucking holiday. My dad, hey, you're will you stay at uh, at hotel to fucking dad? Let me tell you, there'll be McDonald's fries left on your pillow. It'll be unlimited Octonauts. It'll be unlimited Paw Patrol when you stay at hotel. Daddy, <laughs> you know, so I had it all planned. I was going to spoil my kids and look at my phone loads. I had it all planned, had it all laid out. And um, I got a knock on the door. Now, my policy with the door is the same as the phone, which is if I don't know you, I will not open my door. Curly, whirly, I'm not opening my door to you or anyone. Is anyone like, I don't care. I don't care if you're bloodied and battered and you have rags for clothes and you're saying, I've been in an accident. I've been in an accident. It wasn't my fault. Right? I'm still not over. I'm sorry. Right? I have played The Last of Us. And I, you know, and there, I, uh, if you, if you, if you knock at the door and you don't have a package in your hand, you are a raider. You're a raider to me. And I won't answer. Um, or you're the TV license inspector. Um, Got to pay that soon. But anyway, um, uh, so someone knocked at the door, and I was like, hmm, I'm curious. I'm curious. I'm even curious to see if I'm in danger, you know? I'm even curious to see what's going on. So I opened the door, and um, and this man uh, said, how's it going? I'm power washing. And a bunch of you are probably like, I know exactly what this is, right? But I'm a new homeowner, right? And he says, how are you doing? I'm power washing. I'm like, oh, amazing. I was just about thinking about maybe about renting, about texting someone if they knew about where I might get a power washer to maybe have a look at potentially in the future power washing my drive. So this is amazing. You just arrived on my door, right? And I'll power wash your drive for 100 euros, right? And so I says, um, I don't know. Yeah, though. <laughs> you know, like, yes, boy. I don't know, you know, and he's like, hey, I'll power wash. And just tell me, do you need that and done with your gutters, right? And I was like, yes, actually. I was just about thinking about potentially breaking my neck by putting a ladder up there and not knowing how to put it up properly. I have this death trap for a ladder that I use that is basically like it's collapsible. I got it from Amazon. God bless the postman. God bless the postman because it weighs about 100 kilograms, right? God bless you, right? And I have got this ladder from Amazon and I use it to go up to the attic sometimes. And it's collapsible. It all—it's a telescopic ladder, right? But you kind of you kind of extend it, and they all click, 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 clicks into place, right? But then some of them don't click properly, and then they just full on fall, and it's a really heavy ladder. There have been times when I've had my fingers in between 
the rungs and they've just con- gone down and I've narrowly pulled my hand out. It is basically like 16 stacked guillotines all on top of each other. So I was like, yeah, I don't need my ladder. I didn't say this you know, to him. Is anyone doing your course? I don't like my ladder. What? I mean, yes, I was just thinking about getting my gutters maybe looked at potentially ever sometime, right? And he goes, well, you know, do you have the front gutter? And do you have gutters in the back? And I was like, yeah, I do. And, I presented, oh, and then before I know it, I'm bringing this strange man down my side passage. Ooh, pardon. No, I don't have an arse on the side of my ribs. I don't have an arse on the side of my ribs, so the side passage gag doesn't work, right? So I bring him around the side passage. Ooh, pardon. And I show him the back, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I can do that for you. And actually, look, it's pretty dirty here, this back garden and side passage. How about I uh, power wash that for you? And I'm like, okay. How much are we looking at now? And it's like, well, I suppose it's 50 for the gutters, 50 for the back passage, and 50 for the for the side passage, and 50 for the back. So it would be 250 quid. And I was like, I, I don't know. And he goes, oh, no, I will, I will, I will. And then he's walking off. I will, I will, I will. And then I'm like, no, I don't know. And I was like, 200. And he's like, um, no, 250. And he disappears. Right? And and then I'm like, all right. And then I'm getting ready to leave. <laughs> I'm getting ready to leave. And I think, right, I'm just going to leave the side passage open in case he comes back. Because he's probably, I think, I've, I think I've done a deal here. I think I've made a bad deal here. <laughs> I think I've just scored a, you know. But my whole thought here is, no, I'm just going to picture, picture my wife's face when she comes back. And I tell her, while I had the two kids, I power washed <laughs> the whole front drive, the, the side passage, you pardon, and the back. And I cleaned out the gutters while I had the kids. Now, I know it would take her a millisecond to be like, that's impossible. You know, what did you have them strapped to you? Like, you know, you're uh, a tribeswoman, you know, um, or anyone really who does that. I don't know if that's. Mike, whatever, moving very quickly on from that, right? Um, you know, I, I just, I was going to lie for and see how long it would last, right? See if she'd believe it. If she believed it, great. If she bluffed me, right? If she bluffed me that I did it, then great. If she didn't bluff me, right? Then I would have been like, I don't know, like I just got someone to do. I thought it might be, look nice, you know. We're getting ready, you know, I took down all the Halloween decorations. We're getting ready for Christmas. And I'm like, you know, this would be the start. You know, have a nice clear path, clear drive and all this stuff. There was leaves, leaves everywhere. More leaves now. But of course that was going to happen. So I go off for the day and I come back and they have they've power they've power washed they've power washed the gaff, right? They've powered these now it's three men, right? And uh no baby. Maybe the baby was in the van. Don't know. But three men anyway, and a little lady potentially, or uh, you know, whatever. Move on. Or move on. It's not a good joke, right? So I come back and they've power washed, right? And um and also the windows. He said he was gonna clean the windows as well. And I'm like, wow, this is a full fucking, you know. This is a full service of my house, at least the outside, right? And doors were locked. It's not like they're going to get in or anything like that. You know, worse, they get in the, uh, the back garden. And so then I'm looking at it. I'm like, front looks good. Okay, good. That looks great, all right? And I have the kids with me. And then uh, I look down the side passage and, oh, it looks really clear. It looks great. Come into the back garden, right? The back garden is a fucking... He basically just, they fucked everything that was on the side passage, including rubbish, just on the grass, right? And the bins, and they're, oh, the bins are spilt over onto the onto the garden, right? And they've power washed the back, right? But I didn't realize that, and I've had loads of storms, you know? Storm Kieran, Storm Debbie, to name a few, come through my house, and 
I've it, the the back garden has not been waterlogged, but there's water everywhere, and it doesn't look like it's draining, right? And then, and also, all the paint <laughs> is gone from the white walls, right? Uh, my back garden, it's a very light coat of paint, and it's gone. They must have power. They must have just for a laugh <laughs> thought I might power wash the wall as well for a laugh, right? Or maybe some of the dirt went on. I don't know, right? And I look at it, and I'm like, okay. And he goes, right, so that was, you know, 250. And I'm like, he's trying to like leave very quickly. And I'm like, I'm, and I don't know how else to bargain near here, right? I don't, I, I think looking back now, my bargaining, my bargaining chip was kind of over, right? Because he'd finished the job and I wasn't there for it, right? And I was like, I'm not, hmm, huh, I'm not happy with this. And he goes, what? And I was like, I'm not very happy with this. Everything's covered in muck from the wash. The walls are covered in muck. Uh, my bins are covered in muck. The, the garden's a tip. You know, you know, you didn't move out and back. You know, uh, it looks really much worse. And I even tell him, like, I was thinking, I was picturing, I was telling this to another man, right? As if he gives a fuck. I was picturing my wife's face coming back happy, I said. <laughs> I was picturing my wife's face coming back happy. And so I said, I want a discount or something. Like, I'm not happy with this. And he said, go away, about it. Go away with that with a discount, he says. You're not getting a discount. That's what we agreed. And I'm like, I'm not giving you full price for that. And then, right? He pulls this move. It was like something out of the handbook of a 15-year-old Tony Cantwell. I was very impressed by it. He goes, all right, forget it. Walks off. I'm like, what? What do you mean, forget it? He says, forget it, forget it. Starts walking off, getting into the van, about to drive off. And he's trying to pull off. And then, and then, right, he says, then he says, um, I said, well, obviously, I'm, you know, you're not going to do it for free here. Let me just give you this, you know, just, and I'm still trying to push this, dis- for whatever reason, push this discount idea. And then he goes, um... No, do you know what? It's fine. Um, we'll we'll sort something else out. And I was like, okay. I don't know. They tell you, in terms of broad, loose threats, you know, that's up there. You know, uh, we'll just sort something else out. At first, I thought I was just being like a petulant teenager here. You know, he's just been like, forget it then. Forget it. You're not my friend anymore. But then I'm like, what could that mean? And Either way, either way, the least it could be is him showing up the next day just looking for the money again. And that was enough for me to be like, that's okay. Here you are. And here's your tip. <laughs> and here's your tip. No, I didn't give him a tip. But I paid him I paid him in full um, because I was like, I don't really want to have another one of these conversations drag into tomorrow. And what do you mean? And tell you what. Don't want to find out. And you know what? It was also more kind of like, you know, let's take out my little, um, uh, what is it? A cat and nine tails whip and self-flatulate myself. Do you know what I mean? Because it's my fault that this thing happened. It's my fault that I answered the door to a stranger, uh, got involved in a deal without supervising or specifying. And more fool me. Next time uh, I get something done, I will have a, maybe a checklist of everything I expect. Uh, have the budget signed off. Uh, have be have me be there, you know, rather than letting some strangers into my house to, you know. So I was like, okay, they're gone now. That's a lesson now that me. But I was really like, what do you fuck? What do you fucking mean by that? What do you fucking mean by that? You know, had McDonald's there. I had twenty nuggets between me and my son. Every single one of them. Before I realized, I only realized that I'd been drifting off in staring off into space, scoffing my mouth with chicken McNuggets. When my son was like, "Can I have a nugget?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. You know, so um, so I got scammed potentially. I got scammed, or I just hired people who 
they did a good job apart from the back. And I don't know. I don't know if they did the gutters. I'm not. I'm not. I haven't gone up to check. And I don't know. They didn't really clean the windows, but they were wet when I came home. You know. So you know, more fool me. But also, you know, just for you out there, if um, I, I as soon as I looked it up, I was like, I googled like when on Irish Reddit, and I was like, mm, power wash scammers. It's like twenty thousand. Yeah, they arrived and they did the whole spiel about how they're already power washing other houses in the you know, in the estate. And I'm like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> oh. Street smarts, Tony Cantwell getting scammed at my home where my wife sleeps and my children come to play with their toys, you know. So, um, um, so you know, a word of warning to anyone just power washers are out there, um, and it's a really fun job if you do it yourself and just give it a shot, you know. Maybe don't, and then you know what happened as well. Um, the day before, right, I was meeting. I was meeting my dad for lunch in town and I was on, um, what's it called? It was outside Tower Records. What's that called? It's outside Tower Records. I was in the, having a little browse at some vinyl and some 4K Ultra Ultra HD uh, Blu-rays, you know. I'm a bit of a physical media nut. We terrifying if you were, right? Um, so I'm having a look um, and I locked up my bike, my little, um, I have this little orange foldable bike. And um, and I had it tied up uh, to this lamppost and then met my dad for lunch. And I came back to the bike and there, right across from the Pret, right? And I was like, oh, it's gone. Did I park it somewhere else? It looks like it's gone. And then I went to where it was supposed to be parked. And there was a little, you know, those like things that you wrap around a coffee cup to keep it, you know, from burning your hand. One of those was on the lock that looked like it hadn't even been broken. I reckon they... I reckon they just unfolded it in a way and then took... But anyway, the bike was gone. My bike had been stolen, right? And there was a sign on it saying, I saw two teens steal your bike at one uh, 1.20 p.m. Here's my number. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Thank you. For nothing! For nothing! Hi, bystander here. I saw it all. If you want to play-by-play... Give me, give me, you know, what, what, what am I going to do? Call and be like, hey, what's the story? Yeah, I saw two teens steal your orange bike at 1.20 p.m. Uh, do you want me to say it again? <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Were they likely wearing hoods? You know, so that bike, so the bike, I have my bike stolen. And then I was scammed, maybe intimidated um, by some door-to-door power washers. So weeks, the week was going great. Great week now for all street smarts. Tony Cantwell now. You know, the thing is, I kind of thought, I know I'm going to die, right? I know I'm going to die. But I don't really have bad things happen to me. I don't really have anything bad happen to me, really. I'm an absolute, uh, you can call me a beer mat, because I'm an absolute coaster, right? I'm co- I coast I coast through life. The fact that you're listening to me right now, and I've been sacked from like five or six different jobs, the fact that I got my fucking tenth choice in the CAO, right? I've coasted. I've coasted. No, I mean I do work hard at this kind of thing, but you know what I mean. I've, co- I've coasted, and everything's gonna. But then I realized, like, I I had nothing for anyone to ever take, you know, or steal. I had nothing, and so nothing bad ever happened to me. You know, I never had a, a phone, a good phone. You know, I only started making videos in my late twenties because my mom just on a uh, got me and my brother iPads 
just for to do a wild, a wild and crazy Christmas. They like, got your iPads. They both iPads. Like what? Can't afford this. I was like, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> but I did anyway. Okay, thank you. That's great. I really appreciate that. Um, but we didn't have like camera phones or anything good. Anything, anything we ever got was like hand me downs or whatever like that. You know. So, but point being is that I don't know if it's that I've been lucky. Or just I had nothing for anyone to ever take, you know. I never had a bike, you know. Never bought like a new bike. So um, I'm now a right wing gun nut. <laughs> I'm uh, I've had some stand your ground uh, f- uh, doormats made, and I think we should defund the arts and put it all into defence. Um, I think we should put everything into the Guardi, <laughs> you know. But you know, going forward. I'll probably put an air tag in the next bike that I get and I'll lock it properly, I suppose. Um and I'm gonna continue now. There was a bit of lapse there in me opening the door. And that's never happening again. Um there will be secret knocks. Um and if even if it's just a milkman knocking at the door, I'm gonna get one of those like voice changer doorbells. Get one of those ring doorbells, you know, and um and communicate through that, you know, leave the milk. Put put the milk put, put the milk in the basket. Put the milk in the basket. Uh, no, but you owe me for the milk. Do you have revolution? Do you have revolution? <laughs> put it puts the milk in the basket, or else it doesn't get the revolution. <laughs> Is my new greeting at the door. Okay, so that's what's happening now. A friend of mine, remember, he told me that when his brother had a kid, his brother said um he said now do you know what now that i have a kid i'm a dad i'm a man and no one's ever going to make me feel like a kid again all right no one's ever going to talk to me like i'm a kid i'm never just going to go along with something because that's what kids do do you know what i mean i'm just i'm a fucking man now that's what happened it was almost like this switch happened or at least that's what you you know i might be saying a lot of shit and i don't follow through with it do you know what i mean but and maybe i tried to pull that shit that was a kind of i'm not very satisfied with this at the back Sorry, there's a big pool of water everywhere, and everything's a big shithole here. I'm not very satisfied. Can I have a discount, please? I'm much better over the phone, you know? I should be like, fuck. Right, look, can you get, or I listen to me, can you get in your van, and I'm going to stay in my house, and I'm just going to call you, right? And look, I'm going to be a little bit more assertive on the phone, right? <laughs> uh, but if you can just wait, and I'll call you on the phone, we'll do it all that way. Don't leave the van, though. And, you know, I'll just be a bit more assertive over the phone. You know, I mean, look, maybe you're wiser, right? To all this shit, right? I thought I was streets. I remember someone said that. Remember, like my mom maybe said one time, well, you know, Tony's got the street smarts and Andy, you know, he's got the book smarts, you know, um, neither of which, <laughs> neither of which are true. Because I remember when I was meeting, I met Terry's family, you know, I was surprised with them. You know, I, I remember liking them, likening them to Terry like they're Klingons. Right, and not in the way that they're barbaric and love um, blood or war or anything like that, but like they 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 show their love by being kind of loud and opinionated with each other, you know, around the dinner table, you know. Um, I remember saying like your your parent, you know, your family's like a bunch of Klingons, you know, because I remember reading in the Klingon dictionary, you know, I used to have a Klingon dictionary, uh, in between um, the overflowing uh, pussy. <laughs> <laughs> that I would be getting sometimes between the orgies, I would just crack open the um, Klingon dictionary just for a little fucking break, you know, from all the writing. And I would read, and the the preface of it said, you know, Klingons show their affection with volume, you know, and they'd say Gartak, 
you know, meaning I love you or whatever, you know. And it's just a different type of love language that they have. And I remember saying to Terry, like, I look, I, I, I was never opinionated before I met you, you know. And I remember it, it took some getting used to. She would argue with things, and it would all not like not like arguments, arguments, but like she had no she had no issues with like disagreeing and us talking back and forth about something we don't like. We still do it now, you know. And one time, our first ever argument that we both broke down in tears over uh, started. You know, we had a bottle of wine each as well, but like we uh, we were arguing about who the best Chris is, whether Chris. I said Chris Evans is better than Chris Pine, right? I kind of don't know if that's true anymore. And I don't even know if I knew it was true then, you know. And after back and forth and her clearly winning the argument, I went for emotions, you know. And I was all like, um, I started arguing about the way she was arguing, you know. And then, then you know, <laughs> and then when you're off top, when you're off piste like that, you know, then it just gets a bit dodge. And we ended up just, <laughs> you know, uh, storming out of the two rooms that we had, you know, storming in and out of the two rooms that we shared. and. um but I told her I was never argumentative before I met you, you know. And then Terry brought that up, and my mom fucking laughed her ass off. And she's like, "We we used to think Tony should be a lawyer, right? Because he would all he would argue constantly about everything." He said Tony used to ruin dinners by arguing about children's rights, right? I used to have this bit. It wasn't a bit because I really meant it. It wasn't meant to be funny. But my dad would be like, "Tell you a bit about you about his children's rights there," and I'm like, "Okay, why does a children's menu always have to be nuggets and chips? Have they no fucking respect? You know, have they no respect that I might want the soup du jour, that I might want prawns? You know, I, it's an embarrassment. And plus, I would argue at the table, ruining everyone's dinner. If they're going to give the children's menu, it's like, can you not tell how fidgety we are? Can you not tell that if you're going to give a children's menu, can that not come first? I'm a child with a small belly, and I would argue these things. My dad really wanted me to go to law school uh, about this, or you study law. I don't know if we have law schools here or whatever, but to study law. And we we, talk, we were talking about this recently with my mom, and she was saying, oh, Terry, the, th- the annoying thing was with Tony is that when we argued with him, he was always right. And Terry's like, what do you mean? And I was expecting, like, oh, my God, what, what amazing points was I making at seven, right? And... He's like, we'd go to a shop and he'd want Maltesers or whatever and he'd ask for them and, you know, I'd be like, no, I'm not getting them for you because you won't eat your dinner. And then he would drop this bomb and I'd be like, I can't argue with that. And we're like, what's the bomb? He would say, well, how do you know I won't eat my dinner? And I was like, what? And she's like, it stumped me. I didn't. I was like, (laughs) I don't know if that's me being amazing at arguments or you being probably the worst person in the world with the greatest respect. I love you, ma'am, at arguments, you know? Oh, shit, well, maybe I don't know if he, he might actually use dinner. Fuck, you know. <laughs> but that's, um, so my mom's not really into arguments or anything like that, you know. Um, so, yeah, I'm, um, I don't know how I got onto that, talking about being argumentative. Um, but it was funny, funny to chat to my mom about that. Uh, what else is going on? Um, um, I'm very excitedly. Going to be moving this podcast over to the Headstuff Podcast Network. I don't know if it'll be next week or if it'll be the week after. And I want to say a huge thank you to everyone who's been listening to the Young Hot Guys, the other podcast that goes out on Thursdays. Me and Shane Daniel Byrne and Killian Sunderman were the Young Hot Guys. There's a video uh, YouTube channel you can watch there. And um, we got to the top of the charts. Uh, so thank you very much for that. Uh, and I'm going to be moving my podcast over there. It just makes sense. They've been uh, amazing with everything. And um, I've had a great, long working relationship 
with Headstuff, with Alan in there. He gave me my first ever podcasting spot with Sexy Beasts, with Mark Jago. Took us in when we were, you know, little little pink-arsed, pure little noobs. And, um, you know, put some manners on us. And uh, and he's been great. So I'm going to be doing that uh, either next week or the week after. We do the odd one from the shed. Um, but I, you know, got big plans for the new year and, uh, I spend most of my time editing the podcast or thinking about the podcast. And I think the podcast would be much better and consistent if those kind of editing hands, uh, and release schedules and all that kind of stuff was in the hands of someone else, you know? Um, and I could just focus on the notes, what I want to say, and then saying it, you know? So the stuff that you still think that I do, I'll still be doing, uh, but hopefully on a more consistent basis. So it's a win-win for everyone so hopefully that'll be that'll be next week uh, or the week after what else is going to talk about oh it's all flick saw a flick saw a flick over the weekend did you watch the killer have you seen the killer yeah um david fincher is the killer what a flick i was blown away by this flick i'm looking forward to it because i love david fincher didn't see mank um because it didn't feature any serial killers or murder from what i know you know even though i love gary oldman um, but I might get into some killer spoilers because I just thought there was so, there's so many, like David Fincher, I love, and I love the fact that he is an auteur director, obviously, you know, he's got his own vision, his own style. He's the Kubrick of our generation in that, you know, he's one of the great American directors. He's meticulous. People know what they're getting in for, uh, into with him, you know, when they do a shot, people don't notice about David Fincher with his movies. Is that like to the level of, he might even take might do 30 takes of a scene of two people talking to each other. And then he might take take 17 for Rosamund Pike in Gone Girl, but take, you know, 30 for Ben Affleck and meld them together. Actually superimpose both takes in the same shot, you know. But all the shots are really meticulous. They're well composited. You know, he always gets the, at least for him, the best performance. Incredible director. I've always loved David Fincher. A lot of people talking about David Fincher now, and I'm listening to a lot of David Fincher media. It's hard to know what is my own thoughts. Uh, and what are kind of regurgitated thoughts from um, from others? But um, an incredible flick with fucking with a Smiths soundtrack. It's just Venn diagram after Venn diagram. You got Fastbender, the Smiths, Hitman thriller. I mean, hook it to my fucking veins. Five stars. And I might give you a little play by play going through the flick um, because it's fresh in my mind and it's probably the best flick that I've seen all year. And what again? What I love. Sorry. What I love about David Fincher is just you know. It's a quality action movie. It's a quality thriller, while also just being absolutely and utterly gorgeous to look at with messages, with themes. Um, I listened to on the Big Picture podcast, they were pointing out the kind of hypocrisy with David Fincher that is just accepted, which is David Fincher is known for just doing a shitload of commercials, music videos, you know, George Michael's Freedom 90 video, which is iconic. Um while also in his movies being incredibly critical of capitalism, you know, obviously having done The Social Network um, and, you know, with this film, there are like laugh out loud moments when he just mentions some of the biggest brands in the world like Amazon or Starbucks or WeWork, you know, and the fact that David Fincher and Fight Club, you know, there's a scene where they like smash up um, uh, like a, Volkswagen Beetle, you know, like that new one that was released around the same time. I remember listening to the to the uh, to the director's commentary with David Fincher, Edward Norton, and Brad Pitt, and they're like saying about how 
but back in the 60s it was kind of like a counterculture symbol you know of free love and and the hippie movement you know and now it's this is kind of like um polished down yuppie car you know and i just love that he can kind of just just does that you know he just will how he will take all the money and then you know, insult it as well and just he said he used to be part of this kind of director's collective who made uh, music videos and he was like um we're just a jukebox you put the money in and you get the song out you know and that was just his whole mentality but he also just to be able to do that to make movies that are thrillers or action movies or biopics while also having just his incredible, meticulous style, and you just know, in the same way you know it's a Wes Anderson movie, you know it's a David Fincher movie, you know it's a Quentin Tarantino movie, you know, one of the great directors. Uh, and it was a, it's a fucking flick! It's a perfect Netflix Friday night flick. It's perfect. So, Fastbender's in it, right? Fastbender plays this assassin, and uh, we meet him while he's kind of like um, in this rundown we work office which is a, a gag in it you know it's his empty we work office he's sitting there he is meticulous whenever he's kind of talking and this is what's amazing about it it's kind of like normally in movies when you see someone doing a voiceover you're like okay fuck they obviously messed this up that they need reshoots or something wasn't clear there's exposition that's missing that the that the the narrator now has to get across um but there's amazing moments where like he's talking about what he does who he is um, how he's, you know, batting a thousand, that he's never missed a target, you know, uh, his process, yoga, his protein intake, um, you know, how he has to get his heart rate to below, you know, 60 for him to follow through, how he lacks uh, empathy, you know, is, is how empathy, you know, is a distraction, you know, and it must be suppressed and all this kind of stuff. But there's an amazing thing that happens while he's doing the voiceover where like he kind of forgets the name of someone and his uh, fastbender's eyes do a kind of little dart and you're like oh my god like this is actually just happening in his head because I'm, I'm whenever i see a voiceover i'm thinking all right what's the if i if, if there's a voiceover and i don't get a reason for the voiceover at the end even though it's a little bit i don't mind it i don't, I don't mind voiceovers in movies some people hate them but normally you'd expect at the end of the movie okay why was there a voiceover was the killer here explaining his story to the police is that what's happening is that why we're, we have a voiceover now you know, um, is there a diary at the end that maybe might be a bit of a comp out at the end? But why is the voice over here? And then you realize, oh, he's just talking to himself, and he's sitting there. He's ready to fire. Uh, you know, he's setting up his rifle multiple nights on the trot, aiming at this hotel in Paris, and he just he and spoilers. I'm spoiling the movie. All right, so you can come back if you want to watch it. I, I recommend you do watch it. You can come back after you watch it. You know you've you've got enough for me today. <laughs> if you don't, if you want to click off, but he's um, and he's listening to the Smiths, right? And there's an amazing shot where he has his target lined up in the sights, and and you're just staring through the scope. And whenever you're staring through the scope, he's listening to "How Soon Is Now," the Smiths song, great song. You might recognize one of the sexiest Smith songs there is. Song was a theme song from the Craft, you know, uh, the Craft TV show. And he's he's aiming the shot, you know. And we don't know anything about the person he's killing. His whole thing is like, I stay out of the business, you know. Uh, the people who pay me can't afford to tell me the backstory as to why, you know, I have to kill the person who I kill. Um, but like, David Fincher is kind of like making you, you know, you're getting in on it. Like he's about to kill someone, and you want him to, you know, your bloodlust is there. You want him to kill. And we're watching. We're like, we don't know anything about this person. He's going to kill. He's there, and he's got maybe his girlfriend or partner or. a stripper or whatever dancing in front of him 
this this rich man in this Parisian apartment who he's about to kill, and uh, and like there's so many times where he could take the shot, and and then he then the 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 target sits on a couch and there's a perfect big square window and he can take the shot and we're like oh yeah like fucking take the shot now and as soon as that happens for you the viewer as soon as you feel like oh yeah now is the time to take the shot like you want him to take the shot he takes the shot and he misses he misses and he kills the woman and then he sprints out of there just as fast and he's like you know snapping sim cards and putting gloves in bags and throwing them in the trash compactor and he's you know going to uh you know some tire shop to like shave and scrub down his dna and and all this stuff but what's amazing is like there's so many moments you're like oh yeah take the shot now or now in the song will be a good place to take the shot and then every time it's about to get into the good part of the song it cuts back to fastbender and you can only hear it in a kind of the tinny sound of his headphones you know because he's listening to it on like an ipod nano and that's amazing because it's like oh fuck i'm i i am a dirty little <laughs> you know dirty little thing because i want him to take the shot at the good part of the song that was a point that chris ryan on the uh, the big picture pod pointed out but anyway he gets out of there and then he's like um boarding a flight he's going home to the dominican republic you know leaves it a day because he thinks someone on the plane is watching him does this amazing thing where he goes into a hotel room balances a pint glass on the doorknob and puts the kind of steel tray that you get from room service underneath so it'll make a huge sound if anyone comes in you know and terry was like i'm definitely doing it the next time we stay somewhere and i laughed and she's like i'm not even messing terry's weird like that you know Terry has, like, a go-back, you know, if anything were to kick off. She's like fucking Jason Bourne. We stayed in a mobile home one time, and the power went. And I was in the shower, and it was just because the shower was on, it tripped a fuse, right? When I came out, Terry had hit a knife in every single room, right? We found, we kept finding, and I don't even know how she did this. It must have been 15 seconds, but there was a knife in every single room. And then I went out to the, there was an outside fuse box, and Terry gave me a big butcher's knife. And I'm like, why are you giving me this? And she's like, in case you see someone. I'm like, if I see someone, I'm going to be like, hey, do you also not have any power? Not, my first choice is not murder another human being outside. And she's like, well, just in case, you know. Um, so anyway, then he goes back to the Dominican Republic, and you see, and it's great details. Like, he gets off the plane. He's got this Jeep there. The Jeep has about three weeks of dirt on it because everything about this guy has been meticulous and then you see the jeep and you're like all you need to know is just from the jeep how long he potentially has been scoping out this mission how long he's potentially been in paris for you know because obviously he had his car parked there everything about him is clean meticulous and it's just enough dirt that it looks like he's been there for like about three weeks just great detail drives home he's driving all day back to this mansion in the middle of the jungle and then he stops outside to see some footprints and some uh, cigarette butts and he's like oh shit someone's been in here gets out of the jeep runs in sees there's been signs of a struggle, there's blood, and you realize, oh, there's someone else staying here. Goes to a hospital and sees his girlfriend there. And then what I love about this is he sees his girlfriend. She wakes up from, you know, girlfriend in a coma, you know, is a song as well that they use, loads of Smiths in this. And um, her brother's there, and she's like, oh, she didn't tell them anything, you know. And this is like her, this is his potentially future brother-in-law, but the first thing is like, oh, I didn't tell them anything, you know. And I'm like, is this even his family? Do you know what I mean? Like, he's the protagonist and we know he's a bad person because he's an assassin but we've loved people like this before we still are rooting for this guy but we even realize now just in his communication with other members of this of his as far as we know only family that he has they're kind not afraid of him but they know he means no bullshit she wakes up the first thing she says is i didn't tell them anything you know and you're like oh fuck i don't you know should we even like this guy and then she tells him that there was like a uh, a green taxi from the airport 
uh, picked up the the assassins who 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 tried to uh, uh, kill his his girlfriend and tried to kill him, but he wasn't there. And then he hunts the taxi man down, breaks into the taxi office, again goes in, looks through all the files. He's perfectly meticulous, you know. He goes in there with a balaclava, see, and when you, you kind of realize, oh, he, he's covering his face here. That means he probably doesn't have to tie up any loose ends. You know, this could just be a robbery. He makes it look like a robbery, throws some cash around, leaves, but all he's looking for is the, the number and details of the taxi guy. Gets a taxi with the guy, and then he, he's in the back, brings a taxi guy out to the scrapyard, interrogates him, but then he takes off his glasses, and you're like, oh, fuck, we just saw him leave a crime scene with a balaclava on. There is no way this taxi guy is going to be left alive. He just took his sunglasses off. Your man's seen his face like five times. But you're kind of like, oh, well, I know what happens in a movie like this. We're following a hitman. Now he has to change your heart. And now because he leaves this guy, that guy's going to run off and tell everyone else, no, pow, pow. Blows his head off. Blows his head off. It's awful. It's harrowing. You know, this innocent guy, this innocent taxi guy dead. But then he realizes that it was two hitmen who obviously knew where his house was. They knew exactly where it was going to be. And the only person that would have those details is his, you know, uh, his boss, the guy who books all the jobs for him. This guy Hodges, right? So he heads to Hodge's office in New Orleans, right? And he, beforehand as well, he like pulls up. He has everything planned. You're just watching him the whole time. And then he's going to Home Depot, gets these two guys to bring out, uh, you know, uh, a a wheelie bin, uh, loads of different tools, a nail gun, you know, pays in cash, doesn't even go into the shop. So no one's going to know it was him. Puts it all in the back, drives all the way to New Orleans, uh, dresses like this recycle worker. He also like draws this like uh, recycling logo again meticulously like the art is part like you realize there's more to this guy than just this bloodlust he just is it's his precision it's his precision and he even says it in the in the the voiceover that hodges was uh maybe like a law professor or something like that who had noticed in him that he is a bit of a sociopath and meticulous and would make a perfect assassin um he goes in there's a great scene where he's like counting how long the doors take seven seconds to open you know, he gets in, lets the other FedEx driver let him in. He's then there standing with the bin in the hall, about to go into the office of his boss. Sees the secretary in there. He counts it to like seven seconds. He's like, okay, seven seconds it takes to open the door. As the FedEx guy comes out, he leaves the door open and he's counting down the time. At about seven seconds, that guy gets in the elevator and he just catches the door just in time, goes in there. The secretary immediately knows what it's all about. You know, he has her, you know, uh, you know, cable tie his boss to his chair and her to the sink in the bathroom. Um, and Hodges is like, what are you doing? Why did you go home? Like, that's why would you ever go home? You got more money than anyone. That's the, the, the you know, the, the exit plan is you disappear. You know, I give them your house. They go there. And then that's the end of it. We tried. I tried my best and you're still alive. But he's like, no, no. And he takes a nail gun, puts fucking three nails in his lungs. Your man starts bleeding out. And then again, a great funny bit where uh, Fassbender's like, you know, okay, should be about six or seven minutes. He should bleed out. Hopefully I can get that. And he dies instantly. You know, there's so many of these moments where he's like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. And then he makes a mistake. You know, is he as good? He's in, um, I've seen him quoted as being called the unreliable narrator. And that's what I love about it. You know, he's just wrong. But anyway, uh, Dolores, his receptionist, then offers to give the identities of the, of the actual, um, of the, of the people who did try and kill kill him and kill his uh, tried to kill his his girlfriend, and um, and she says this line where she's like, you know, I know how you work, you know, please don't make me disappear. I know you're gonna you know take his body out of here, you know, and she's right. 
that you know Hodge's body goes in the bin, but she's like, my kids need life insurance, please. So he goes back to her house. They gets all the details from like a Rolodex. It's a really cool system where it's like the numbers, whatever, whatever the last number is, and whatever that letter is is the next thing in the Rolodex. Real great detail. And then he does right, and then his next kill kills her by snapping her neck and pushing her down the stairs. And this is the most empathetic thing this man does in the whole movie: is just kill this woman at the top of the stairs and make it look like an accident. Like that's that's as empathetic. As he gets, I've never seen like what. How does that happen in a movie where you're like, he? She literally snaps her neck as she falls down the stairs. First, you think he's gonna let her away, but then he snaps her neck, and then you're just like, oh, what a good guy, you know? Like it's just playing with your emotions the whole time. Um, then he drives to Florida and he finds the first assassin, this brute, right? And he's kind of stalking him for a while. This guy is huge. Uh, he goes to a strip club. He realizes he has a dog. He's like, okay, I need to go get some sleeping pills. Put it in some beef. Picks up all these bits, you know, um, and he even says, you know, okay, dog, what's that, 150 pounds? That dog should be asleep about six, seven hours. Not true. Dog wakes up pretty much at the end. But an amazing fight scene where he goes into his house. He again gets caught on the hop by this huge assassin. One of the best fight scenes I've seen in years. Like the darkest fight scene, like pretty much in the dark. And you can see everything. You've got a great sense of of what's at stake, you got a great sense of where people are. You you know the the layout of this guy's house already, and you know the rooms that he could potentially run into or run out of. Like you know all that, and it's such a short span of time, but like it's so economic in all the details that you know all this shit. And uh, the guy kicking the fucking shit out of him. Another great gag where he hides behind the ca- the counter and he puts his hand in the drawer, hoping to pull out a knife, pulls out a cheese grater. He's like, oh fuck! But he's able to take out the brute. Uh, and run out just before the dog comes. But now he's had the shit kicked out of him. And his whole thing was like, he has to be inconspicuous. His whole attire, he says, he dresses as a German tourist because no one wants to talk to a German tourist. So he has like a bucket hat, you know, and khakis and all that kind of stuff. And he pretty much does stay invisible. What's also great, just stylistically, in every shot where some where he's with someone else, you actually can't see his face. And just purely from the shadows, just it's lit in such a perfect way that you actually cannot make out who it is, you know? Um, but now he's battered and bruised and he's still doing his international travel with all of his passports, but now people are kind of looking for a little bit longer, you know? He's already shown empathy, which he said he would never do. He's now no longer inconspicuous uh, in the same way that he was because very noticeable, a guy walking around with bruises. Then he heads to a small town in um, kind of state state of New York, and he oh, the only thing he knows about this, the other uh, serial killer, is that she was called, um, what was she called, a Q-tip. And it's Tilda Swinton. And Terry's like, oh my God, if he just shoots her or something like that, you better get it. I'm like, this is fucking Tilda Swinton. Like, she's going to go, he's going to sit down with her. You know, they're both going to chew the fucking scenery. It's going to be amazing. And that's exactly what happens. She's going in. She knows exactly what happens. He sits down at her table, you know, and he's making these kind of mistakes. He's now sitting down right in front of her, you know. She orders like a flight of whiskeys. She's living a great life, you know. Um, you, you know, she does an amazing job in the film of kind of just explaining who she is and by proxy maybe the kind of personality that he might be because he's not really letting us know anything about him other than the things that he's kind of regimented with and you know how monastic he is and all that kind of stuff we don't really get anything at him but she's like you know i have loads of money but why did i still do it why didn't i stop even when i had enough money um you know uh after everything i still never thought this day would come you know and you're kind of like oh shit that day is going to come from him and then she's drinking and she's acting a little bit drunk and then they walk out and she kind of slips and she's like, oh, could you lend me a hand? And immediately just shoots her and then reveals she has a fucking knife in her hand. Amazing. Amazing. 
You know, and you think, oh, this is the bit where he's the empathy. He's going to do it and she's going to fucking stab him. You know, he's slipping. But he doesn't slip. You know, she slips and he shoots her. And then he goes to Chicago to find the person who actually called the hit. You know, the person he was meant to do the hit on behalf who then put a hit out on him, you know. And um, it's some like billionaire venture capitalist. And he's watching his routine and he's like buying tools from Amazon, like just like a fob uh, copier, you know, just by ordering from Amazon. Like, we, like this is what's great. Like we work is assisting in the murder of someone, you know, uh, Amazon is assisting in the murder of someone, you know, McDonald's is the fuel of a killer, you know, uh, all the like where this money is coming from and who the clientele are d- does not matter to these huge businesses you know and i just love that they, that that david fincher just has fun with that well probably might do an ad for amazon for all you know you know but has a bit of fun with that uh clones his home key card while he's in the gym and all he has to do is just book a free trial in in a gym to then get access to this guy's locker and um and then confronts him in his apartment at gunpoint and your man just says oh look i've never done this before all they said is when you botch a hit they take out the hitman. that's all i did you know and then he spares him he doesn't kill him you know, but says he'd kill him in a very gruesome way if if he ever tried to put a hit on him, you know, and um, but spares him because he also knows that's a level of fucking excess baggage, you know, that he's that he's, you know, a billionaire, you know, if a billionaire gets killed, a lot of people are going to pay attention. That's too much. But just he's like, hey, I'm done. I've spared you. Let that be the fucking end of it, you know, and then he goes home and he gets away with it and you like him. He's despicable. He's not redeemable, but you're fucking in on the whole thing. And it's a fucking flick. And I just love that it's just a stripped down, awesome Hitman flick. You know, quality Hitman thriller. I love John Wick and I love all that. And the action's great. But, you know, I start to yawn a little bit when it's all, you know, by order of the Artrice, Mechanique, Denelise, Cardinal. I'm like, all right, you're all right, mate. Do I want to see this show with Mel Gibson? No, thank you. You're all right. You're all right. Um, and this is just... I also just love the scenes where he like opens up his like storage thing and he's just got loads of Ziploc bags with cash and guns and ID. And I'm like, give me all that. Give me it all. I love that. You know, I love when someone digs up their their armory, you know. Um, but I liked it. I recommend it. Five stars. Anyway, look, thanks very much for listening to this pod. Uh, I like it. I fancy it. Um, if you like this pod and would like to listen to more of these kind of podcasts over on the Patreon every single Friday, I have the bonus Cantwell shit show where for the price of a pint of Island's Edge a month, uh, you can listen to four extra podcasts. Um, I like doing those and some people say they're far more relaxed, maybe too relaxed sometimes, but, um, I do take advantage of being behind the paywall and, um, maybe even if you could imagine. Even far more personal over there. Tell, literally telling you here how how much of a numpty I was getting scammed by power washers. You can only imagine the shit I'm saying over there on the b- 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 bonus Cantwell shit show uh, over on patreon.com forward slash Tony Cantwell. Now listen, thanks very much for listening to this pod. Uh, I have a couple of things to plug. One, I will be doing some comedy. I have the um, Tony Cantwell Christmas show is happening on the 6th of December in the Workman's. Tickets will be on sale this week. Uh, the 6th of December in the Workman's. I'm very much looking forward to that. It'll be a live podcast, live stand-up night. Um, I'm also going to be doing uh, comedy on the 26th in Whelan's uh, stand-up for Gaza. Uh, also on the 30th, 
of November over in the London Irish Centre in London. The 30th of November, myself and Alison Spittle are doing Not The Late Late Toy Show, um, which is our parody of The Late Late Toy Show Night. It's a wild variety show night. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be music. It's going to be dancing. It's going to be comedy. It's going to be sketches. There's going to be some games, and it's going to be a lot of fun over in the London Irish Centre on the 30th of November. And I'll be doing some stand-up a little bit in uh, the 14th. I'll be doing in Dublin, just club night somewhere. Uh, I have. I just need to check exactly where that is. But look, thanks very much for listening to this. I love you. Bye. I'm the sun and the air of a shyness that is criminally vulgar. I'm sun and air of nothing in particular. Killer.